0: Start On Demand.
1: demand. Manitoba's restaurant industry is urgently calling for financial aid as the situation continues to become more bleak. COVID is the Grinch that stole Halloween, survey says. Most Canadians will not be participating in any sort of trick-or-treating. Speaking of Halloween, Tristan Field-Jones joins us to discuss the science of spooky, and a 102-year-old World War II veteran has gone skydiving, checking that off of her bucket list. Which bucket list item will you regret if you don't get to it before it's too late? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, October 29th podcast for The Start.
2: Wonderful email from a teacher this week. She teaches at Chief Pegwist Junior High School in Winnipeg. And to help the kids connect in the morning and communicate and just, you know, get in touch with their feelings if they need to, she asked them as part of this week's communication strategy to write a haiku. Do either of you even remember what the rules are for a haiku? Oh gosh, it's sort the number of. of
0: words, right? Is it syllables. Five, three, oh syllables, five three five or something like that?
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I actually, I only know that it's supposed to be 17 in total, so I do think it's five, three, five, and Except after that's eight 13. o'clock. Five, three, wait, that's right. That's not, <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm no longer in junior high. Okay, well, well you know what? You we're bringing, Maybe we whatever, should put you back. <laughs> we're bringing on a grade eight student who wrote one of these haikus after eight, and maybe he can give us the rules. But some of them are pretty clever and and also really like a sign of our time. So one of the more thought provoking ones was, "I want to go out." I just want to see my friends. I am so lonely. And that was written by a junior high student. And that's pretty, pretty honest and candid, I think, for where we're at right now. And then another one, which I thought was great. I hate wearing masks. I have to smell my own breath. And it is so gross. <laughs> and I thought, what a, what, a, what two great contrasting emotions that kids and adults sure. are feeling right now. I, I've, I've thought the same thing about wanting to go out and do more and be more social and I also just the other day thought like after a spaghetti meal with a lot of garlic I was like this mask is doing me no favors right (laughs) now (laughs) it's doing others
0: plenty of favors though not only are they uh, being protected from your potential bad germs but also your chronic halitosis that's right
1: (laughs) yeah there have been a couple of times where I've had to swap out masks midday because I thought oh this is getting rank already I like this haiku covid kind of sucks but i got a new puppy so that's pretty good
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and that was written by a young guy named Caleb, and he's the one that wrote that haiku brett and he's gonna join us at eight which i think all our questions should not be about the haiku but maybe about the puppy
1: yes what kind of puppy what's the puppy's name (laughs) uh how big is it how big is it going to get are you prepared depending on the size are you prepared for the size of what puppies leave behind
0: when they go outside uh yeah so um, all kinds of questions i did some google foo okay i thought you were doing the google foo no more than 17 syllables so loren you were bang on there typically every first line of a haiku has five syllables the second line has seven and the third has five Syllables, syllables, syllables.
2: Your math is good there. Now that adds up. Now that adds
0: up. Now that adds up. So there you go.
2: There's a five in there and a niner, I want to say. There's a niner.
0: (laughs) Five, seven, five. Oh, and for those of you that ever get an earworm, if we're talking about Gilligan's Island, just to kind of bring it. it all back to the beginning, if you ever have an earworm, doesn't matter if it's a TV show theme or some other song, Sing the Flintstones theme song. It it apparently resets everything. At least that's the theory of one of my best friends. And it seems to work. But then once you have the Flintstones stuck in your no, head? No, for some reason, no, it doesn't happen. Oh, okay. So I've tried this theory. It's a tried and true theory from someone that we all know and have met. Very good friend of mine. And uh, just, uh, you know, it doesn't always work. It's like scaring someone when they have the hiccups. Oh. It's not guaranteed to work, but it's got a it's got a chance.
2: I'm gonna have to try this because I got an app for my kids that is about the times tables, and the times tables are set to music. And I went to bed last night like seven and one is seven, seven two fourteen, seven three is twenty one, and I could not fall asleep because this darn <laughs> song was in my head. So there you go. I will be trying that
1: that makes math sound fun, though. it's
2: fun. I was we were like I was I what they weren't. I was dancing. I should play you guys the six times tables. It's excellent.
0: You might <laughs> uh, want to work on the addition one instead. <laughs>
1: And, Lorraine, we just need an update. Do you still have the multiplication timetable song in your head?
2: Six, sevens are 42. They are 42. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. I really do. I even played it for 4J because I was like, you got to hear this song, man. It's so catchy. It would have been stuck in my head all day oh, if I had to listen to it. Is like that good? Course. Ones are six, six twos. They are 12. I mean, I'm telling you, this stuff, if this doesn't get them bang on on their times tables. I don't know what will.
1: Okay, I think we need to actually hear this song <laughs> rather than me please, just singing it. it, no in it a high that no, was no, fabulous. <laughs> Sing it all
0: day long, Loren. <laughs> that was
1: excellent. I'm already jotting it down. That's a clip that needs to be
0: saved. <laughs> this is a reminiscent of the Happy Days episode when they uh, do the hand bones connected to the finger bone. Right, right. That whole idea of uh, learning through music and memorizing through song—it's an age-old tactic. But I, 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 think I literally it works. just
2: think. That song to a friend yesterday, Greg, talking to her about some of her aches and pains. And I was like, Well, the knee bone's connected to the. And she's looking at me, and I was like, Well, I feel like that's science. That could help you out with the doctor.
0: I'm trying to diagnose your problem. Just a sec. I got to sing the song first. <laughs> Whenever I hear that song, I just
1: think of Dr. Nick saying, The something's connected to my wristwatch.
0: <laughs> and who was that guy on PBS? Was it Slim Goodbody? I don't know. Oh, I'm, oh, geez, there's the generation gap. I'm going to have to look that
1: up. Oh, I, 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 I might just need a memory jog. But in the meantime, it's on Saturday. There's a full moon, as Hal Anderson told us yesterday. And if the kids eat too much candy and are cranky, there's even more good news because Sunday the clocks go back, meaning you will have an extra hour of
0: possible sleep should Halloween run late. I feel like we didn't make a big enough deal about the fact that it is actually Hal. Halloween. Anyway, months ago, that would have been, sorry, that would have sounded great, except now we're dealing with, of course, Halloween and COVID times. And as an Ipsos poll recently found out, COVID is the Grinch that stole Halloween.
3: Ipsos polling exclusively for Global News finds just 19% of Canadians say they will hand out Halloween candy this year, and 23% of parents say they will take their kids trick-or-treating. When asked how they will deal with Halloween this year, 17% say they don't plan to change a thing. 34% say they'll incorporate social distancing. And 49% say they've cancelled any plans. Christmas and holiday gatherings are cancelled as far as 26% of us are concerned. 57% say they'll go ahead, but with modifications. And 17% say they plan to celebrate as they usually do. Only 9% plan to attend religious gatherings over the holidays.
4: One of the things that we see consistently in the polling is whenever anybody is going to be confronting a stranger, their fear goes up. Uh, when it comes to dealing with COVID and any situation in which they feel that they can't be in complete control of the environment that they're in fear goes up. So all of these things, you know, random people knocking on your door, you don't know who's there. You don't know really anything about them. They're not part of your, your social circle uh, automatically is going to raise fear and uh, that you can't control completely the environment that people are going to be coming in is something else that probably is, is making people reluctant to participate in this process. That doesn't mean that nobody's going to participate in it Uh, you know one roughly one in five of us are going to be doing that there's still a lot of people uh in a population of 38 million but um compared to what we've seen in the in the past i expect that we're going to see some pretty quiet streets well, one of the things that uh, uh, that you could say is surprising is how much geography does demonstrate or has an effect on public opinion. So, if you live in provinces that have a higher degree of, uh, I would say, more rural populations or smaller town populations, particularly places like Atlantic Canada, uh, what you're seeing is that people are more willing to participate in something like Halloween uh, than maybe people who are living in places that have more of an urban population. So, your own circumstances, the own the situation that you find yourself in, the community. Community that you live in has a big impact on whether or not you're going to participate but overall participation rates we should expect them to be pretty low this year
2: so that was the voice of daryl bricker he's of course with Ipsos, so we're going to hear more from him later in the show at 8:50. just about what the numbers show and what they particularly show for manitoba because he mentioned that there might be a split between between urban and rural centres and how people might acknowledge or celebrate Halloween. I do know that I went into one of the Halloween stores that pops up every year, right? They're not obviously there full-time. They they go into retail spaces that might sit otherwise empty, and then they set up shop for a month. And I just went in to get some stuff to decorate the house and see what they had. And I think I was one of two people in there for the 30 minutes I was in there. They had a sign at the front talking about, you know, this is a good year for Halloween. You do have the full moon. You can Kids are already wearing masks with most of their costumes. Lots of them are wearing gloves with their costumes. And they were really trying to make the pitch that we shouldn't be worried. But the messaging has been acknowledge Halloween only if you can do so safely in gatherings that are just your family and you know that the candy can be acquired in the best possible way and so I don't know guys I don't know where folks are at I I bet you there's a lot of parents still waffling out there this morning.
0: Yeah I'm sure there are but even uh, some of the people that I know in my life who love Halloween the most are pulling the plug and and let's face it we know that over the last decade Two decades, Halloween's become the second most celebrated, quote unquote, holiday in North America. We spend more money on Halloween than every other holiday except Christmas. But this is a big deal for North Americans. And, you know, like I say, even the people that I know best who support this the and, and celebrate it in the most elaborate fashion are saying, no not this year, not doing it.
1: Well, we've asked the question on our 680CJOB Instagram, and we recognize this poll is not Ipsos. It's just a social media poll. But we just asked the question, are you letting your kids trick-or-treat this year? And uh, so far, 82% say no. Mm -hmm. So you can cast your vote there on our 680CJOB Instagram story. We would love for you to follow us there. Uh, When I visit those Halloween stores, Loren, I I go uh, at least once a year because my sister is Huge into Halloween. She likes to decorate her front yard, so I always go and buy her some new diabolical decoration that she can put in her front lawn to terrify the children's, <laughs> and uh, it's one of my, like, it's just so much fun walking in there, yeah. and, you know, when you step on things and wait to see what's, how they scare you, and then sometimes you don't realize you've stepped on one of the triggers, <laughs> and a spider jumps out at you, And uh, but when I went in, and to, to be fair, I went mid-September, uh, it was pretty quiet in there, but I would have thought by now for sure that it would have been busy because I went there last year a couple of days before before Halloween, and it was chaos in there.
2: Well, I, the thing that's giving me comfort this year is that uh, I, in many of the schools, the, the schools are still letting the kids come to school with their costumes on, as always, right? So you still can get dressed up if you want. You can still get dressed up at home if you're not going trick-or-treating. And I think there's there's ways to do this, right, to make it fun for everybody. I will say, Brett, with those stores, I twice yesterday threw my fist out like i was like ready to hit one of those things because i was like come on you just got me a second
0: time (laughs) hey it's fine when they get you the first time the second time you feel a little foolish and then you feel like like, that's it you feel like dropping the gloves (laughs) Uh, hey uh by the way just got a text message 780-6868 hydro is out in waverly Heights, so if you're driving in that part of the city you may be experiencing or encountering traffic signals which are not functioning properly. So uh, remember, flashing red means a four-way stop. And if you don't have any traffic signals at all, also treat it as a four-way stop.
1: Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, Greg spotted this story uh, a couple of days ago. The headline on this is that a 102-year-old World War II veteran has scratched off of her bucket list skydiving. 102 years old, this veteran. She... Scratches off skydiving. That uh, I'll just read a couple of de- details from CBS here. World War II veteran was honored in her hometown on Thursday. For more than a century, she has never stopped reaching new heights. Millie Bailey said she always wanted to go skydiving, and she recently checked that off her bucket list at the age of 102. And she enjoyed one more thrill. A park in Columbia, Maryland, was named for her in honor of her devotion to serving others. So that got us thinking about bucket list items, and specifically, which bucket list item. Do you have that you'll regret if you don't get to it before it's too late? Whether it's, you know, age or time to meet your maker, so to speak, whatever, uh, whatever circumstances stop you from doing it. So we've Kids. got, oh, sorry,
0: <laughs> <laughs> the quiet part out loud again.
1: <laughs> Jeff uh, Forte is here, Kelly Moore, and of course, The Run McNabb, Greg Mackling, and me, Brett McGarry. So, Jeff Forte, why don't we start with you, sir?
5: Well, something really easy is I'd I'd like to learn that piano I have sitting in my, uh, in my living room. <laughs> That's to start off, but uh, I would really like to go something adrenaline like bungee jumping, you know, that adrenaline of falling and then getting pushed back up. That'd be fun. Bungee
1: jumping. Is there a particular location where you would want to do that? Off a bridge. Yeah? Yeah. It doesn't matter where, it's just, a, just a high, tall bridge?
5: High, tall bridge where you're looking down at that water and you think you're going to hit it. But you don't, or hopefully you don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> Missed it
0: by that much. What about you, Kelly? Uh, I, I, I'm like Forts. So I, I think something's uh, simple. It'll have to wait till the pandemic is over, and I hope I outlive it. Um, but uh, I, I, I have always wanted to go to Wrigley Field. Uh, back in the early part of the 2000s, I did get to Fenway Park. Haven't been to Yankee Stadium yet, so... Uh just to go to uh, iconic baseball parks or to go to Augusta, I- any of those kind of things are definitely on the bucket list. And uh, uh, I, I, God, I just hope there comes a day where you're, we're able to, to get back into a ballpark full of people and, and experience that electricity again. Loren?
2: Yeah, I don't know. There's so many places in the world I want to see and get to. And so it's about dreaming about getting to those places. I'd love to take my kids um, back to the Middle East and to Israel. So that would be on the list for me. I sadly looked up bucket list ideas, right? Like, because I was like, oh, I wonder what people have done. And it has a whole section on, you know, health and... uh Finances, like pay off your debt, pay off your mortgage. I was like, yeah, doesn't seem like a, I guess it would be good, but that's not really a bucket list idea. But honestly, I have always wanted to run a marathon. I think that's insane. I'll never get to that, but mm. I would love to do a half marathon.
0: Are you sure you weren't on kellykeen.com? As opposed Uh, to a bucket list. Oh, this list
2: is so, it's so, I felt sad for people. I get it. It's a really good thing to be able to check off that stuff off your list. But I I was like, ride a mechanical bull sounds a lot more fun than paying down the credit card as a bucket list idea. (laughs) Completely
0: (laughs) agreed. Mackling? Well, I'm on the website, abridgeclimb.com, And I'm looking at a picture, an image of the Sydney Harbour Bridge in Australia. And this was something I was supposed to do 20 years ago. For reasons out of my control, I was unable to go, but that is something I absolutely must do. It's a kind of a culmination of something I've always wanted to do, go to Australia. And part of that would be to, you can actually climb to the very top of the arch of that bridge. I do not like heights, but I am determined to overcome that fear of heights and and being wide open at the top of that bridge would just uh, be an amazing feeling. Look down on the Sydney Opera House, et cetera. So that's, um, but right, that probably right at the top of my bucket list stuff. What about you, McGarry?
1: Well, and you've managed to knock off two things, with two birds with one stone there, go to a, somewhere you've never been and conquer uh, fear. For me, it's uh, I'm looking at the, the feat I've always wanted to accomplish, and that involves getting my feet high enough off the ground to dunk a basketball on a regulation height hoop. And I know that Ooh. might sound silly. No, but, that's a good uh, one. You know, I'm 6'4", and I had guys on my basketball team in high school who were my height who could dunk a basketball on a 10-foot hoop, and I never could. And the reason, I mean, I, I'm A, I'm not athletically gifted, but I'm not a complete lunkhead. I'm, I'm, I If I just did the work, I remember in grade 8 we had this – I think it was eight feet tall, this basketball hoop at uh, Ecole Centrale, where I actually went to French Immersion Elementary School, it's on Day Street, and they had this eight-foot hoop outside because it was a school for grade kids. Uh, So we would go there and play basketball, and my buddies could dunk on it, and I couldn't even touch the rim. And I remember after we were done playing, I stayed, and and I kept running and trying to grab the rim, and running and trying to grab the rim, and I couldn't do it, couldn't touch it, and I was like crying as I was trying to do this. But then a week later, when we went back, I could touch the rim. And within a couple of weeks, I could dunk the ball. And maybe a month later, I was throwing it down. That's because I did the work. I never did the work to get up to the 10-foot hoop. And I feel like, you know, I'm 43 now. I realize I'm not going to be... and I don't expect to jump from the foul line like Michael Jordan, but I would like to be able to throw a ball into a regulation hoop at least once in my life. If I just did the work, I think I could do it. Can you, you pawn like the basketball? Oh, this. sorry.
0: sorry
2: no, I was just thinking we could make this a challenge. I've got a physical one. We could give ourselves a deadline. And then uh, go oh. watch Brett dunk. I'll do a marathon. <laughs>
1: Next Rick? week we'll
2: come to <laughs> Australia.
1: <laughs> well, if we if it's next week, Kelly, it's going to have to involve a trampoline, like kaboom from the Winnipeg Thunder. I <laughs> know I can't. Uh, it depends on the ball. Right. If it's like a grippy ball, so yes. So, a
0: volleyball, volleyball, yeah. Okay, so dunk a volleyball in a ten foot net. Uh, no, it has to be a basketball. Oh, well, you can't make your hands bigger. Well,
1: I can still get, if I get up high enough, then I can still throw it down. Dream, big man. throw buddy, it down. I
0: love it when you dream.
1: Tackling McGarry and McNabb, we are getting some amazing bucket list items that you will regret if you don't get to them before it's too late. So keep them coming at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win some Santa Lucia pizza, which of course is one of the iconic restaurants in Winnipeg in Manitoba and Manitoba restaurants are starving for some sort of financial assistance before it's too late.
2: Yeah, Brett, that line that they're starving for some help was the takeaway from a survey done by the Manitoba Restaurant and Food Services Association. So it polled its members recently, and in its own words, the findings are bleak. So 66% of those surveyed are spending at least $2,000 per month on PPE supplies but they're operating on less than 40% of pre-pandemic sales. So the math there is horrifying. And then almost 80% are dealing with rising debt loads, which makes sense with 28% of restaurants. So almost more, almost a third of them are sharing that their debt has hit between forty dollars to $80,000, Greg.
0: Yeah, and you have to keep in mind, those are after sales, after all other costs are paid dollars. Sean Jeffrey is the executive director of the Manitoba Restaurant and Food Service Association. And Sean, I've made no secret about my affection, my love for the restaurant business, spent a good 15 years of my life in it. And this is just heartbreaking to hear. Just give us an idea of how bleak uh, this picture Picture is we knew it was bad. Is it worse than even you expected?
5: Yeah. First of all, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah. These are sobering numbers. We, uh, and these are realistic numbers. These are Manitoba numbers. These aren't uh, a statistics Canada survey or they're not a national survey. These are surveys uh, that was conducted uh, through our membership and actually shared with, uh, with all Manitoba restaurants that they could. So, and it's a, it's a quite a large snapshot. We actually were able to capture close to 65% of our memberships uh, feedback on this. So it is realistic. Uh, and it's data that was actually requested by the provincial government so that they could look into potentially and possibly creating a sector specific uh, subsidy or assistance program for us.
1: Well, and indeed, there have been federal programs like CERB to help people laid off. You know, there are other financial programs mm-hmm. for small businesses. So, what is that specific assistance the restaurant industry is looking for?
5: We, we need cash now, and that's uh, unfortunately the real the, the realism is that we need cash now. Um, you know, some of these programs that have been out, uh, offered up by the federal government are great for the employees. Unfortunately, the close to 61% of our employees that have been laid off during this time. Um, and that's great because we want to make sure that their, their families are fed and that they can still make rent and so forth. But for businesses, Um, We do have the Q's program, which has been quite helpful in trying to keep some restaurants afloat. But short of that, the provincial government's programs that they had devised for our industry, although helpful for some other industries, and we made that very clear, were not very helpful for our industry. So we need uh, sector specifics. So you need to come to the table, be able to speak with us and the experts in our industry to find out what helps us, what's going to work for us. and. And it really comes down to cash now, as our survey indicated, the rising debt load that these operators are absorbing on a monthly basis, both in PPE costs and deferred payments, is, is outstanding. Um, and, you know, you don't have to be a mathematician to be able to look at these survey numbers and know that when these debt come due, um, it's going to be a bleak, uh, bleak time for our industry.
2: So, Sean, with the fact that the province has asked you for some of this data, that would give you hope that perhaps they're mm-hmm. open to the idea of some sort of program. But on the other hand, we're eight months into this. Does it feel like any sort of assistance is going to be a way too late for many of your members, for many of Manitoba's restaurants?
5: You know, it has been already too late for the roughly 10 to 12 percent of restaurants that have already closed. And I feel like we're a little bit late for the party here. Um you know there are seven provinces currently that have sector-specific assistance for the hospitality restaurant industry, and have already created. Um, and uh, we provided that data um, to show that you know we cannot continue on moving into month eight now of uh, these uh, these bleak times for our industry and continue to survive. We want to have a hospitality and a restaurant industry for our children to go to and. Some of these, you know, like the closure of uh, some of these uh, iconic restaurants like Casa Grande, which, you know, used to be my favorite Italian restaurant my wife and I used to go to. We cannot continue to watch restaurants like this close down. We have to do something and we need cash and assistance now for them.
0: Feels like a little bit of a war of attrition here, Sean. The longer that this goes without a program, uh, there are going to be less businesses for the government to help.
5: Absolutely. And that's why we implemented our social media campaign and hashtag Save MB Restaurants, because we need Manitobas. Manitobas, I'm telling you, man, I have never been more proud to be a Manitoban. Uh, they came to the table, you know, amazingly during this time, supported us as much as they could, especially during the summertime and, and during the initial after the initial lockdown. But we need them now more than ever. So all we need them to do, especially all those staff that may have been laid off right now, is is uh, is tag uh, our premier in that and just tell them a story. Tell them a story of what you're going through on being a hospitality or a food service worker and not knowing where your job is going to be next week because we don't know where our jobs are going to be next week. And let's share that with everybody and let's uh, all work together as Manitobans here to try to save our hospitality, our food service industry.
1: Sean, before we let you go, I've got my own ideas on the the answer to this question. But in your opinion, why is it important that we save Manitoba's restaurants?
5: You know, Manitoba has been known for many, many years. I'm not, I was uh, born here. I didn't live here my entire life, but came back because we have a diverse and a very uh, ethnically diverse uh, restaurant industry here in Manitoba. We have that and well known across the country for having that. Um, We cannot. you know, expect uh, our our future to be successful when uh, when we're very limited in the amount of restaurants that we can have. We need to be able to have those small business owners, those those new Canadians and those local Manitobans to bring that small flair, those local amazing chefs that we have. We need to be able to have them to be able to live in an environment where they can open up a small restaurant and be successful. But unfortunately, with uh, with after this pandemic and the trials and tribulations that we've had to be able to go through during this time, um, it's making it that much tougher for them to, to realize their dream. We need them to, to be able to have those dreams opened up in the future.
0: It's a genuine way to celebrate who we are and to share where you came from. It's a big part of our culture. Sean, thank you for this and best of luck. I know you'll keep us up to date on, on how this initiative is working.
5: And I appreciate your time. Thank you.
1: Sean Jeffries, the Executive Director of the Manitoba Restaurant and Food Services Association and that hashtag, once again, Save MB Restaurants. It- Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning. And in case you are just tuning in and Mister conversation earlier this hour, Loren, we learned about the campaign Save MB Restaurants.
2: Yeah, they surveyed uh their members and they said they got about 60 to close to 70% writing back in talking about their debt loads, how bad the debt was, that they were spending on average $2,000 a month on PPE, but that their income was at 40% of pre-pandemic levels and so a big disparity there. And they want people to write to the premier to to tag the province in a hashtag so that they can get the message out to them about how they're really what they say starving for assistance and we spoke to sean jeffrey of the manitoba food and restaurant association he said yes there have been some federal programs but they're looking for something specific for the restaurant industry
5: you know it has been already too late for the roughly 10 to 12 percent of restaurants that have already closed and i feel like we're a little bit late for the party here um you know, there are seven provinces currently that have sector-specific assistance for the hospitality restaurant industry and have already created. Um, and uh, we provided that data um, to show that, you know, we cannot continue on moving into month eight now of uh, these uh, these bleak times for our industry and continue to survive. We want to have a hospitality and a restaurant industry for our children to go to and Some of these, you know, like the closure of uh, some of these iconic restaurants like Costa Grande, which, you know, used to be my favorite Italian restaurant my wife and I used to go to. We cannot continue to watch restaurants like this close down. We have to do something and we need cash and assistance now for them. $2,000.
0: $2000 i i touched on it in our conversation with Sean but you have to realize $2000 those are after cost of sales dollars this is not in your normal budgeting process to spend that kind of money on PPE that's just a, an incredible amount of money you need to do $678000 worth of mm-hmm. sales in order to put $2,000 back in your pocket potentially, maybe even more. So uh, that number doesn't sound like a lot necessarily, but in terms of what you have to sell to be able to have that amount of money available to you is absolutely astronomical. And Brett, you and I were discussing off air that when you realize and when you read some of these tourist Reviews of Winnipeg. We've seen Winnipeg on the Lonely p- Planet must-see list. Uh, the only province in Canada was Manitoba back in 2019. And yes, there are beluga whales and some incredible things to see. But when it comes to Winnipeg, the culinary scene is right at the top of their raves.
1: Well, it's exploded in the last 10 years. It's crazy when you think of how much has changed in all these great local places and all the creative things that are happening. But also just stop and think about it for a second Uh, A world without restaurants, like the idea that we might lose many of these restaurants, like it's not just about getting food. It's some of my best memories are in restaurants. I remember first dates. I remember second dates, third dates. I remember birthday parties. You know, my buddy's 40th surprise birthday party. These things are made better because restaurants provide a place where you can go with your friends, your family, your loved ones, gather, break bread, have a drink, and make those memories. So it's not just about keeping businesses alive. It's about keeping dreams and memories alive. communities.
2: uh, I was thinking of the neighbourhoods, you know, and and the way that people move in from different cultures and countries and the gift they bring us, which is their language and lifestyle and food, right? And we gain so much from that. And then on top of that, how about your first job? I know so many teens right now who would be working, or would want. Want to work or need to work to raise money for university but can't so like the very fabric of society in terms of who we are and what we like and where we eat and how we visit and how we earn our incomes and make money as teenagers and, and, and into our university years it so often starts at the restaurant
0: yeah and uh, you know really quick before we get out here just think to Minnedosa, how that community has changed over the last 15 years you go down main street and a healthy restaurant economy keeps people in those communities, in those small towns versus going to Brandon versus going to, dare I say, Nipawa, for those simple experiences. You can stay within your community and it's the multiplier on the dollars spent and earned at those local restaurants is absolutely incalculable.
1: Bill, by the way, on the subject of rivalry says West Kildonan High School versus River East or Kildonan East. Why? Because it's West Side till we die. Late <laughs> 90s. So I'm not saying the Tupac Biggie Rivalry had anything to do with it, but I'm not saying it didn't. LOL, we were dumb kids. Ha ha. Bill, thanks for the text. ling McGarry, and McNabb. Loren, this, uh, there's a reason why we chose this particular song for you.
2: <laughs> That's the Times Table song I've been singing with you this morning. Yeah,
1: Sick I've actually...
2: Six six is 36. <laughs> six sevens are 42.
1: Well, here, I've got 42. a cute... I've got this the Times Table song queued up here. Let's play it.
3: Six twos, they are 12. Six threes are eighteen. Yeah. Six fours, six, fours 24. 24. Six
0: are 36. Six are 36.
6: Uh,
1: It is very apt.
2: Learning can be fun.
1: And it's kind of apropos into what we're about to talk about here because we were talking about how many, you know, what's the number for this line and that line? Masks, guidelines around distancing, restrictions on physical
0: activity, and no choir. So no singing this incredible song. School this year is not... The same as it used to be, which is why an email from a Winnipeg teacher put a smile on all of our faces earlier this week, Loren.
2: Yeah, her name is Lisa Wallace, and she emailed to let us know about something fun she was trying in her classroom. As she wrote, quote, I have taught grade eight for 20 years, and you think that might make me an expert. But this pandemic has taught me that I'm no expert. But like so many of our teachers, she's trying really hard to connect with our kids and make sure they're doing okay. She says she takes time every morning at her class at Chief Pegwist Junior High School to focus on communication and well-being. And this week, she asked the kids to put their feelings into haikus.
1: And some of them are, are pretty tough. Like, one of them went like this. I want to go out. I just want to see my friends. I am so lonely. But then another one. But more on the funnier side, it reads, I hate wearing masks. I have to smell my own breath, and
0: it is so gross. <laughs> oh, man, those are just adorable. Honesty in 17 syllables. And we have more to share, including the one written by our next guest. His name is Callum Sorensen. He's 13 years old and in grade 8. Good morning, Callum. Yep. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing all right, man. Thanks for taking some time. And I guess you have to go to school. Do you have to go to school today? Yep. All right. Well, we'll 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 let you get out of here quickly so that you can do that. Tell us about what school's been like for you so it's far been, this year.
7: It's been good. It's it's a little um, annoying sometimes wearing the mask all the time, but it's overall pretty good.
0: Well, why don't you tell us what's the what's the worst part, and then tell us the best part.
7: The worst part is. Probably not being able to see all of my friends. Mm -hmm. And the best part is, well, it's it's easy, I feel like, just to get all your work done without any distractions. Mm.
2: Is it nice being at school versus, you know, when you had to go home in the spring? Which one would you pick, Callum?
7: I think it's better being at school.
2: Yeah, I think lots of kids would agree with you. And and your teacher sounds pretty great. Sounds like she's helping you guys through a lot of things, because I loved this haiku idea. It was fun, and it helped sum up what some people are feeling. But before we read what yours was, can you just remind us what a haiku is again, Callum? Because we had a hard time remembering this morning. What are the rules for a haiku? A
7: haiku is three sentences, and the first sentence has to be five syllables. The second sentence has to be seven syllables, and the third sentence has to be five syllables.
1: Okay, so it's not like it's not 17 syllables total, doesn't matter how you spread them, it's got to be five, seven, and five. Yeah. Can you share what your haiku was? Sure.
7: COVID kind of sucks, but I got a new puppy, so that's pretty good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is our favorite, I think, right, Brett? Yeah, we We like this one a lot. So tell us about this puppy.
7: Um, He's an American bulldog mixed with a mastiff boxer. Oh my Grindle. And we had him he's seven seven months old. We had him for five. What's his name? Hank.
2: Hank, that is a great name for a dog. So is he kind of already at the size that he's going to be as an um, adult
7: or does he still have to grow? He still has a lot more to grow.
0: So it's nice to have a it's nice to have a furry buddy. To uh, keep you uh, company in this time? Are you walking them lots? Are you doing all the things you're supposed to do? Or is, is, or is mom and dad having to pick up the slack? You can be honest with us. Nobody's listening. <laughs>
7: you no. Know, uh, my mom and dad walk him every night. But he is, I think he's pretty spoiled. <laughs>
2: Ooh, like, how do you spoil him?
7: He has lots of toys. And he, he gets like the whole couch. To lay down and sleep
0: in. <laughs> So he's taken over, basically. Hank is yeah. taking over your house. Yeah.
2: <laughs> now who picks up after him? You know, picking up the uh, doggy doo doo, so to speak.
7: Hey, Dad. Ooh, <laughs> come on.
0: <laughs> That's
1: good that you didn't get that that job. Uh, that was my job for the most part when I was uh, when I was your age uh, with my dog Muffy. So how would you come up with the name Hank? By the way.
7: Well, I think my mom came up with it. It was just. We, we knew we were getting a big dog. We knew he was going to be like a big chunky dog. So we kind of named him Hank. And then that came with Tank. So, Hank. Ah, Hank
0: the Tank. Nice. <laughs> Nobody's going to mess with Hank the Tank. Nope. There you go.
2: I hope my kids aren't listening, guys, because this is the kind of dog they have also suggested would be great for our uh-huh. house. And so I'm, I'm not sure. But this dog sounds great. Your haiku is fantastic. Did it help you guys to write these haikus and talk about things in the morning? Like, is that an important part of your day?
7: Cal? Yeah, it, it just it lightens everything up, kind of. So it's not COVID-19
0: all the time at school, right? Do You, yeah. do you get a chance to express yourself about different things. What else are, are you liking before we let you go that they're doing in class?
7: Um, I like uh, like the morning part. It's is just really um, well-organized.
1: All right. Well, hey, okay. Callum Sorensen, 13 years old and grade 8, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Great haiku, young man. We appreciate the time, and have fun with Hank the Tank. <laughs>
7: thank you.
1: And before we introduce this segment, we do just need to point out that Greg has relocated because we are in an effort to keep ourselves separate. We have the sheet of rock glass from unbreakablewindows.com in our main studio that was meant to keep Greg and I separate, but now they have Greg in another room, and our team of engineers has been working on getting it right. So, Greg,
0: are you there? Testing. One, two, three. Testing. One, two, three. You sound great. All right. All right.
2: I was worried it was going to sound like you were coming from space and not Avery's dream there, so that's better.
0: Fantastic. I don't know what kind of magic they worked in here to make me sound great, but uh, applause to our engineers.
1: And can, can you hear everything
0: okay? I can hear everything. I can see you on the camera, although you are shadow of your former self. You are just, that's just, all you are is a shadow against the backdrop of that incredibly uh, blue sky, for the most part, outside the window at 201 Portage. But uh, for the most part, I think this is working out so far so good.
1: All right, well, that's good that uh, we. Cause so once again, I'm in the main studio. Jeff Forte is in master control. Greg is in another studio now, and uh, Loren is uh, wearing a snuggie right now.
2: <laughs> I wish.
1: Okay, not a snuggie. Uh, do you, are there any paws on the uh, the pajama pants? They're not even pants. If I'm being <laughs> honest, I don't really know what I have on. <laughs> Well, hey, I mean, the connection from the commander, that's the unit that uh, Loren is using, using, sounds tremendous. So onward we go now. And Now you just heard in the news run with Jeff Braun, a story by Global's Brittany Greenslade on the impact that COVID-19 is having on Manitoba's Manitobans pardon me, living with dementia.
2: It's leading to a steep decline in their lives and Manitoba isn't alone. I was just uh, taking a look at the different news articles around the world this morning and you can find similar stories in pretty much every single country that's dealing with COVID where healthcare professionals are, are sounding the alarm over the impact that isolation, the impact that lockdowns and reduced visitors or no visitors at all are having on dementia patients and it's really exacerbating their symptoms and symptoms of depression and so we want to hear more now from the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba. Erin Crawford is the program director and she joins us now. Good morning, Erin. Good morning. So tell us what some of the stories you've heard from Manitobans. Paint a picture for us in terms of what they're telling you has been the hardest part as they watch their loved ones decline.
3: Oh, it's so hard to even nail down a piece. It would be the hardest part, I guess. They're struggling with so many pieces because if you have someone who is in long-term care, that is difficult at the best of times and there's uh, guilt and challenge that comes with that no matter what. But when visits have changed so much right now, so people can't see their loved one as often as they used to or if they do see them, the visits are completely different than what they used to be like. So they're having to keep their distance from each other. They're having to wear masks. Their loved one is having to wear masks. It's making it difficult to communicate, It's making it harder for people with dementia. I mean, typically are seniors, and so they have other things going on. Like, it can be hard of hearing. So the visits themselves, when they do happen, are so challenging and not like what they used to be like. And then your ability to understand why that even is the case brings another layer of challenge to that and so families are really really struggling Um, and they're reporting to us when we talk to them that they are seeing changes in those loved ones because of course they're not getting the same level of engagement and connection with other people that's so important for all of us but especially when you have dementia.
0: You know Erin you mentioned uh, the change and The interaction at the best of time, if someone's uh, moved, say, from independent living into a personal care home, that change is so dramatic. Went through that with my grandmother almost three years ago ago now, and I found, you know, she would any excuse to phone me and have me come and fix a light or her TV (laughs) remote control wasn't working anything for that social interaction that for so long, for 80 plus years of her life, she was in charge of. And now she was dependent on other people to come and see her for her social interaction. And like you say, at the best of time, it was a difficult situation. I can't imagine the extra layer that having dementia or other uh, forms uh, of uh, cognitive disability would be adding to this whole notion of no mom, no grandma. I can't come see you.
3: Yeah, she liked having you around, right? She right. found excuses to have you around because that was nice. And that was good for her, too. It would have kept her vibrant and engaged and healthy and active. And so that's not an option anymore. They Somebody calls and says, can you come visit? No, Mom, I can't. Why not? We're not allowed. We can't come in. I just saw you two weeks ago. Or it was a video chat. And they it doesn't resonate in the same way and so for somebody with dementia to try to understand why that's happening why you're saying you can't come it makes no sense there why wouldn't you come and so the the guilt that families experience with that is something that we're hearing a lot about from so many families and they're scared for their family member more than anything they want to be there and check in on them and make sure that they're safe and um they love and appreciate and trust the care that their loved ones are receiving, but they also want to be there themselves.
1: Now, you've said that extra resources need to be put towards helping. What kind of help are you are asking for? Is it more staff or maybe more technology, counseling?
3: Yes, yes, and yes. Um, but I think really at the end of the day, the staffing piece, ensuring that there's adequate staffing in place is probably the biggest key to ensuring ongoing quality care for people. So you want to make sure that somebody's getting that quality care that you hope somebody would have. You have to have the staff in place so that when p- something like this happens and families can't visit, at least then staff have the time and opportunity to step in and fill that void that's being left by families and understandably all of these infection control measures are so important and everybody understands and appreciates that for sure but it doesn't negate the needs these people to still be engaged and visit and have somebody to spend some time with and so adequate staffing is super important for that and so that's just a top need right there yeah
2: Rebecca, Aaron, sorry, it's not just about staff, though. It's about having the money to get that staff in. So are there conversations ongoing that you know of inside these care homes and long-term facilities to do that? Because money is going to be a big part of the equation, and it feels like we might be in this for quite some time.
3: Well, it's something that the Alzheimer's Society and other organizations are certainly advocating for. As far as the conversations internally, obviously, I can't speak to that. I don't know what's happening with that. Um, But I hope that it is something that comes out of this crisis that there is a real this like thank you to you for having this conversation this morning because i think this is how it becomes something that isn't just happening sort of behind closed doors discussions around resourcing um, but instead it does happen on the radio and it does happen out in public and so people do push and it's not and the alzheimer's society will continue to push for that um, and families are as well and i i hope that at the end of the day there are changes and there are increased resources to this system because it's important, and it's, it's important for all of us. 23,000 Manitobans, like you said, have dementia, um, and we want the right supports in place if that's us or our family.
1: Aaron Crawford, Program Director for the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you so much for the time. We very much appreciate it.
3: Thanks very
1: much. And we'll be having more on dementia and the impact COVID-19 is having on Manitobans living with dementia throughout the day here on 680 CJOB and with Global Winnipeg. 9.15, we have to pick our winning text on the bucket list item you would regret if you just don't get to it before it's too late. Joanne saying, my bucket list isn't great, but my effort list is growing like wildfire. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that, Joanne. (laughs) Joanne. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we got to pick our winning text on the bucket list item that you would regret if you don't get to it. We're giving away a Santa Lucia pizza, and this one here, Greg, I think will tug at your heartstrings. My bucket list wish is to make a trip with my teenage son to Dyersville, Iowa, to the Field of Dreams, my all-time favorite film. We had talked about doing it on motorcycles, but a bike accident I had last summer changed that. MLB has built a new field nearby. We're hopeful that when the virus is gone, we can make the trip, albeit on four wheels, to be able to walk the field, maybe catch a game and have a pitch and catch with my son, perfect and sublime.
4: Yeah,
0: Dyersville, Iowa. They built, I think it was an 8,000-seat stadium. They were going to have a Major League Baseball game this past summer, so hopefully that will happen next year for those that are interested. I think you have to enter a lottery in order to win tickets to get to see that game, but uh, absolutely something I'd love
1: to do as well. And, uh, Lorraine, do you see Terry's text uh, seconding the the running a half marathon?
2: Yeah, because I stupidly said that out loud and on air to thousands of people. So now I think I have to commit to it. (laughs) Uh I, I had said that was on my bucket list. And Terry writes, I second that comment to running a half marathon. You can do it. I have the tendency to sign up for runs without training. And so far, I have completed five half marathons in the past few years. When you get to the finish line, that feeling is amazing. Terry writes that she's turning 38 in February. And my one bucket list goal is to run a full marathon by the time I'm 40. Last year, my husband and I took our two girls to Hawaii, which was also on my bucket list. And so if I could, I would love to run a marathon there.
1: But Greg, Diane, I think is our winner.
0: She sealed the deal pretty early in the competition this morning. And uh, if you heard it, you probably won't mind hearing it again. This is, as you said, Brett from Diane. My sister recently passed away from ovarian cancer. Two big time items on her bucket list were one, to get arrested and have a mugshot taken and to lead a dragon boat her daughter myself and my sister took a short trip to Vancouver where i'd lived for most of my adult life with my connections we were able to make both of oh sorry both of these bucket items happen That was a good day. And Diane, congratulations, our condolences, and thank you for the pictures. We cannot share them on social media, but it was great to see the evidence of these (laughs) incredible adventures. Mackling,
1: McGarry, and McNabb question of the day at cjob.com it is brought to you by credit aid helping manitobans get out of debt since 1992 visit creditaid.ca call 204-987-6890 and the question at cjob.com manitoba's restaurants are urgently asking for financial help have you ever worked in a restaurant and your options are yes great first job yes i still do and no And so far, 68% say no, 29% say yes, great first job, and 4% say yes, I still do. And I retweeted that. We put it out on Twitter as well, at 680CJOB. I worked at Taco Bell, 1536 Regent Avenue West for five years, and before that, I worked at Wendy's for three hours.
2: (laughs) Oh, boy, the frosty, frosty incident, or what
1: happened? Uh, I I was 15, and I needed a work permit, and the the boss made me fill out the work permit, and uh, I did, and they just never filed it. So I just went down the streets taco bell so I, I was in there when it opened it was a very exciting time the first taco bell in winnipeg we are playing that music by the way some spooky music some rockwell somebody's watching me with uh, michael jackson singing the chorus by the way uncredited because tristan field jones is here cjob's tristan field jones in a segment that i have perhaps crudely dubbed the science of spooky. Um, Tristan, you can correct me if that is wrong, but you are here to explain some of the science behind the paranormal, starting with, I think, something that I, I'm pretty sure it, creep, I know it creeps me out. Loren, does the Ouija board creep you out?
2: Yeah, I'm not a fan. And I know that whenever I've used them, it's probably... Someone else pushing the handle or whatever you call that little thing. It's probably not happening, but I don't trust that enough to know that it isn't some sort of paranormal force. So, no, I don't like them.
1: And, Greg, what about you? Do they creep you out?
0: I dig I dig the Ouija board. <laughs> <laughs> Our next guest, I think, knows what that thing is called. It's not a handle. You told me other the other day, TFJ, and I can't remember what it's called.
6: A planchette. Oh. That's, that's what course. the object is called. This is actually a, a perfect start, a perfect way to start this segment because... First of all, just to explain, I I find the paranormal fascinating in terms of what it represents for what we think we can't explain. And I'm very much, you know, I like to try and investigate stuff. I like to try and explain things. And I think one of the best ways to do this is to look at what we call paranormal or supernatural and try and find explanations. And the more reading you do into these things, the more fascinating the actual explanation for it, to me anyway... It's it's more interesting than a ghost or a spirit or whatever it is. So, so Brett, you were saying that Ouija boards creep you out, right? They do because I'm I'm very much like the Ren.
1: When I see it moving, I think it's got to be someone at this table doing it. But no one, of course, will fess up to it, right? So I don't know. I. The the idea that this thing is moving and that we're opening a door to uh, another
6: spirit who is maybe nefarious, I don't know. Yeah, it's creepy. Okay, so let me just state this. The Ouija board is owned by Hasbro. It is essentially a creepy board game, and a lot of the myths surrounding it, if you will, a lot of these things surrounding it are... A little bit exaggerated and interestingly enough scientists decided to look into what's happening you guys talk about how you don't know if you're moving it well at the university of british columbia in 2012 they carried out experiments with the ouija board and it's referred to as the ideomotor effect essentially the theory claims that the unconscious mind can cause the body to move without the conscious mind knowing about it so here's how the experiment worked Two blindfolded people were moving the planchette. One of the subjects told that they were touching the pointer, and as it moved, that person often claimed the other player was pushing it, when in fact no one else was involved. So, some research found that when answering yes or no to questions, Ouija use was significantly more accurate than guesswork, suggesting that it might draw on the unconscious mind. Now, some critics know that the messages allegedly spelled out by spirits are similar to whatever was going through the minds of participants. But a a person's conscious belief that he or she is not moving the pointer could even enhance the unconscious mind's ability to trigger movement without the person knowing. And so the game's two or more players instruction makes a lot of sense because you can't point out exactly who is moving it. So that's what the science says. The science says it may not be a window to a spirit world, Brett, but it may be a window to your unconscious mind.
0: It feels as like or sounds like when we were discussing this the other day, TFJ, that this might be just an effect of collective will when you have more than two sets of hands on on that planchette.
6: Absolutely. And we know so little about the unconscious mind. I mean, think of dreams and and the way that works. And there's we we're do, doing so much research into that sort of thing. And the Ouija board may, in fact, be very useful in figuring out how the unconscious mind affects or doesn't affect you during your waking hours. It's fascinating research.
2: I can't even believe that research was done on this, to mm-hmm. be honest. But it's it's neat to hear that because I think that there are, A, so many of us have used one of those in the past. And then there really is that idea of what control do, do I have or not have in a lot of circumstances, right, when it comes to this. So I think this is really cool, Tristan. You also looked into electronic voice phenomena?
6: Yes, so EVPs. So these are supposedly found on electronic recordings, interpreted as spirit voices that have been recorded intentionally or unintentionally. I'm sure we've all seen a ghost show where it's like, oh, I was recording this and the ghost answered and whatever it is. Let's try and explain this. I've got an example here. So uh, it's looped in this audio clip, so you'll hear it repeat. So let let me play it, and we'll see if we can figure out what is supposedly said. Here we go. Were you guys able to catch that? Able to make out any words?
2: Something about giving me
6: a raise? (laughs) Well, Well, this segment's over. I don't have anything more to add to that.
2: (laughs) No, I, I couldn't. Okay, hit it one more time.
6: Okay, here we go. Something about air or fair. So what's interesting? So the paranormal investigators claim that it says, "Is there someone there?" Mm-hmm. Let me try this for you. I think it says, "Lou, he's a human bear." <laughs> no, it doesn't. Well, listen. <laughs>
2: yes. Now that you've said it, you hear it. So Ah, what's that tell us? That we implant that into our mind already?
6: The power of suggestion. The problem with electronic voice phenomena is that they are so easily manipulated into the power of suggestion that all I had to do was say a phrase and then you had that idea implanted in your mind and suddenly, boom, you hear the audio that remotely coordinates with that and immediately that's what you thought it was. That is how easy these things are to manipulate. That little experiment right there proves that essentially these EVPs can, can be just, well, not even faked, but just so easily manipulated without any fakery. And believe it or not, some EVPs could even be explained by meteors streaking through the atmosphere, where some uh, scientists have even recorded the sounds that are occasionally bounced back to Earth when meteors go through our atmosphere. So there's a ton of different things that could explain this. But again, power of suggestion, incredibly powerful.
0: Well, there's something on social media right now. There's two words on the screen, and you're supposed to pick one or the other, and then you press play on the video, and for most people, you're supposed to hear the word that you read. And you might not hear it the first time, but you sure see it, or hear it the second time. It's sort of like the blue-gold dress thing, almost, Loren? uh, uh, Sorry, TFJ.
6: Well, no, absolutely. I was just agreeing with that. Or what was the other one? Laurel and Yanni. Yes, Laurel mm-hmm. and
0: Yanni. So similar things, uh, TFJ.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Um, another quick thing here, because I know you guys are running out of time here. Um, how, now I know, how many of you are aware of uh, EMFs, or if you may recall, the device in Ghostbusters, where they're mm-hmm. trying to uh, get these <laughs> electromagnetic fields?
2: I watch way too much paranormal stuff, courtesy of my husband. So sadly, I, I might. I'm ready. I'm ready for this one. EMF, oh. electromagnetic fields. Yes? Okay,
6: Lauren. Well, then this will be perfect for for you and your husband here. So, electromagnetic fields can be caused by all sorts of electronic devices, even poorly insulated wiring, and that can mess up with your own brain's EMFs. Sometimes people report a persistent sense of unease. Others have a more visceral response. Sometimes feelings of terror. This is all very haunted house stuff. Well, believe it or not. Uh, Science has done a lot of research into this and there's a one documented example where a tiny electromagnetic field generated by an alarm clock was enough to make one person have hallucinations of nighttime visitors. The alarm clock generated this electromagnetic field that was exactly at the precise frequency and the precise measurements, if you will, to cause this person to have these hallucinations. Um, And these sorts of things can mess with your brain one of the most fascinating hypotheses about this because again it just goes back to us not knowing a lot about the brain our brain produces these electromagnetic fields we don't know exactly why we don't know exactly what they represent but one of the hypotheses out there by scientists is that that emf from your brain could be a representation of your consciousness so believe it or not whenever you're around high electromagnetic fields around faulty wiring or fuse boxes or that sort of thing, it might be because in a weird roundabout way, that electricity is messing with your consciousness as a person. It is mind-blowing and cutting-edge science. And to me, guys, that is just so much more fascinating than a ghost or a spirit or, you know, Brett McGarry on a Friday night.
1: Well, whenever I hear EMF, I think of the song Unbelievable.
2: Oh, yes.
1: Right. You
0: remember
6: that? I, I do. Yes, Brett.
0: You, oh. You do? You're old enough to remember that one, Tristan? Sure.
6: Well, I mean, kind of.
0: <laughs> Did you ever dance to it? At the bar, though. That's the
6: question. Yeah, no, I wasn't. I'm not a big dancer. I'm sorry.
1: Well, Tristan Field-Jones, Ghostbusters. You mentioned Ghostbusters. It is playing this weekend at Landmark Cinema's Grant Park. And as it turns out, we have a tickets and treats pass for two for Landmark Cinemas. So let's give that away right now to call a number five at 204-780-6868. You want to go see Ghostbusters, Landmark Cinema's Grant Park, 204-780-6868 for a chance to win a ticket. And treats pass for two. Oh, and Tristan, here's another great Halloween song. I know you, how much you love boy bands. Uh huh. The Backstreet Boys, a Halloween classic. You want to sing along to it, Tristan? Thank you, Brad. It's always a pleasure. Tristan Field Jones joining us live oh on the <laughs> Booker T, Booker T. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I'm
1: just enjoying the music from him. <laughs> show you how Jeff Curry is gonna show us what he's got coming up after 10 o'clock right after we check your forecast in three minutes on the start Am I yeah. Am I the
3: only one
6: yeah.